Greetings and welcome to Fresh Text. Fresh Text is a weekly podcast where a couple pastor scholars dig into a seasonally appropriate passage of scripture and see what we can uh, offer to our listeners for their edification and equipping and enjoyment. We're so glad that you have joined us today. My guest this week is Aaron Perry. He's on very often with me and was my first guest when we started to get this thing started up um, over a year ago when we first experimented with it. And I'm your host, John Drury. I teach uh, systematic theology and spiritual formation for Wesley Seminary at Indiana Wesleyan University. And Aaron, my guest today, is professor of pastoral theology and leadership. And we are delighted today to be studying Luke chapter 17, verses 5 through 10. So Luke chapter 17, verses 5 through 10. We'll get into the context a little bit, some of the verses just before and a little after too. Um, But the main passage is Luke 17, verses 5 through 10. So go ahead and uh, get that open if you're sitting down or just listen along if you're on the go. And I, as always, ask that you be sure to uh, rate and review us as well as share and subscribe. Uh, to get the word out on this podcast. All right, enjoy the show. All right, let's uh, let's jump into it. Let's do this. Um, we're looking at Luke chapter. 17 verses 5 through 10. Luke chapter 17 verses 5 through 10. Uh, would you like me to read or you want to read? Oh, go for it. 17, 5 through 10. All right. The apostles said to the Lord, Enlarge our faith. And the Lord said, If you had faith as a grain of mustard seed, you could say to this sycamore tree, be uprooted and be planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Now, would any one of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him when he has come in from the field, come immediately and sit down at table? Will he not rather say to him, prepare supper for me and gird yourself and serve me until I eat and drink? And then afterward, you shall eat and drink. Does he thank the servant because he did what was commanded? So you also, when you have done all that is commanded you, shall say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Would you be willing to pray? Absolutely. Thanks. Father, you have given us your word. It has been preserved by your Holy Spirit, by the work of your church. And I am humbly asking for help in how to consider, apply, and discuss this text so that we wouldn't simply discuss it as some kind of 
exercise only, but as exercise for training for godliness and righteousness, so that we would have the appropriate attitudes of servant as servants ourselves. We humbly but confidently ask for your help, that you do not stand aloft and distant from us, but have given us your very spirit hmm. and your word to help us in that endeavor. So help us. Thank you for the gift that is represented even here at our table. Brothers, to discuss, remind us that we are not simply talking with each other, but you are already present and may be with those who are listening in, that you would be sharing our conversation with them. And even in some kind of way, as we anticipate them listening, our words would be rich and wise because you're gracious to us. So help us. Amen. Amen. Whenever two or three are gathered, huh? <laughs> cool. Well, what uh, what jumps out at you in this man. week's text? Nothing. I, I don't nothing know. this week. The prayer kind of. <laughs> you know what's you know what's on, on my mind. Okay, yeah. first this is totally random. Is I'm reading Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets to uh-huh. my daughter, and uh, the house elf Dobby has shown up to save <sighs> Harry Potter, and he is totally overwhelmed that Harry would tell him to sit down as an equal. And this is overwhelming to him. And here, it's like, right here, it's like, well, the master would not say, uh, sit down, right? Please come and sit sit down with me, right? He, would, he wouldn't say that. He just wouldn't say that. So <clears throat> that's the first thing that popped into my mind. Yeah. Totally random, but, you know, there you go. Well, it was helpful to have that kind of image in mind that that would be, you know, again, it's, it's a parable. So it's not like Jesus is saying, don't do that, mm-hmm. right? Never do that, right? He's saying... That's not to be expected, mm-hmm. right? If it did happen, it would be a, a wild gift, you know, and it would be initially refused. No, no, master, I can't do that. No, that's good. That's a good little connection. Yeah. Yeah, I haven't read the books because I'm a Philistine. I just watch movies. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I've read the books, though. <laughs> my, my son really has. Good. They're really good. I have a short attention span. <laughs> yeah, as I sit in this mountain of books in your office that have yeah. been... And I read a couple pages and then switch to another one. And I read books out of order. That's why you read at night. That's why you read these at night. Because then you're just like have a natural border boundary, right? You read for a little bit and then. Yeah. Well. See, I told you I had nothing to add to this text. So we're trying to make it all about Harry Potter. All right. Here's here's something that's standing in to me as well. It's okay. I I got stuff if you don't. uh, (laughs) (laughs) um, When you have done everything you're told to do, should say we are unworthy servants. We've only done our duty. And I mean, just to convict, one, I'll say again, one thing God has been convicting me on of late through some of the things I've been reading is how easy it is for us to consider our service to God as a favor to him. Yep. It's so easy to be like, oh, this, these are, and, and even to do so in, in small, especially in small things, like, oh, I'll do this favor to God rather than recognizing these are small acts only done by his great favor shown toward us. And it's just such a, a spin, but man, God has been convicting me on that. Mm. Yeah, that that uh, that may be helpful actually for helping me think through the connection between these two passages that don't seem that they're clearly back to back, and even seem to be all part of one discourse. I mean, well, it's a strange goes, transition. Just suppose. yeah, there's yeah. no <laughs> uh, yeah, there's no transitional phrasing, so that you know immediately raises the question. How do these pieces fit together? And so then that, but it helps me to start to think of like clearly, maybe not clearly. My initial hunch is that the disciples are playing the role of the servant 
in this parable, and they are asking for more faith, which may, I don't know, it's kind of ripped out of context. It's not very clear what they're responding to. The, the, the previous the previous passage, we, we didn't talk about it uh, today. Uh, it's last week's text, but, you know, it's talking about temptation and and forgiveness and repentance. So it's not, there's not this like obvious event that happened right before, but it, there is a sort of question as to whether there would be some kind of original context to this kind of question, right? Why, why do they even want more faith? Do they want to do greater things? Are they wanting to be more effective, more powerful? Mm-hmm. And then your story helped me kind of think into that a little bit. What, what does it mean to, when we think, uh, that I, my service is like this gift to God. And I'm like, oh, my gift isn't good enough. I want to do even better stuff. God, give me, we, we pray like this sometimes, mm-hmm. right? God, give me more strength and power so that I can do great work for you. And there's something, there's something, you know, true and beautiful in that kind of prayer. But that's being challenged here a little bit by Jesus, not rebuked, but corrected a little by saying, man, you only need the tiniest little bit of faith. Maybe there's some connection. Maybe there's not, but, uh, that you talking about the way that verse uh, 10 convicts you gives me at least a little bit of an insight into the disciples question and why Jesus would feel the need to correct it Mm -hmm. uh, slightly. And he's as if he's almost saying your attitude should be, you're lucky that we feel lucky to have as little faith as we do (laughs) that we get to tag along and watch you blow everyone's mind mm-hmm. with your miracles and with your teaching and everything. And if we're just getting leftovers, we should be jazzed about that because we're on the right side of history <laughs> and we're, 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 we're entering into the kingdom. The least in the kingdom is greater than, than he, than John the Baptist, right? Who came before. It's kind of like this idea that like, why are you trying to like measure up and power up, mm-hmm. you know, like, Ooh, give us, give us a mushroom. The you know, I was thinking, sorry, mushrooms sounds like drugs. I'm talking about like the, on a, on a Mario, you know, like, give us, well, give us more faith so we can do more stuff. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's like, you don't need a power up. Be satisfied with what you, with what you've received. Maybe I, maybe I'm pushing too hard to connect the two passages, but I, I always want to give Luke the benefit of the doubt that there, that there's at least some sequence to his thought. And though I'm willing to get to the end and say, who knows, maybe these were just a series of sayings and he stuck them together. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I was, I've often, more often read that sense of faith in terms of how do they extend forgiveness, which has just come before him. If somebody right. sins against you, it's like, man, that's really hard. Like, increase our faith. You know, it's hard to offer that kind of forgiveness. Um, I'm also, I'm trying to think about, remember how this uh, appears in Matthew with the, with the yeah. uh, mustard seed size. I think that might be influencing faith. my reading. Maybe okay. too much. Okay. Yeah. Uh, well, what is it? I'm trying to, I'm okay, trying to remember so, its context. So in Matthew, it shows up in the um, in the famous story that appears in all three. It appears in Luke. So this this is not this is disconnected. And you know, typically in Matthew, you're going to have things brought together that are separated in Luke, right? Like the Sermon on the Mount's huge. It's got all this material that's spread out in Luke. So similarly, you have that effect here. It's at the end of the famous sequence after the Transfiguration when Jesus comes down with the three, okay, and the nine that were left behind. We're trying to cast out this demon from this okay. little boy okay. and he, and they couldn't do it. And then after in both Matthew and Mark, this scene is not in Luke, interestingly. <laughs> so they come to Jesus privately and say, why could we not cast it out? And Mark, it's just a short answer where he says, this kind can't be driven out by anything but prayer. 
Matthew's longer version is, he said to them, because you have little faith. For truly I say to you, if you have faith as a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, which is the more famous, as mm-hmm. is often the case in the churches, when we remember it, we remember the Matthew version, mm-hmm. whether we should or not, it's a separate matter, but that's just common. Say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you, right? Which is that nothing will be impossible with God line that appears in, in a number of places in the gospels. Mm-hmm. So that's the context. And so I'm... I, I don't think it's irrelevant that I have my synopsis out here and I noticed that and that's shaping my interpretation of the Luke inversion yep. is that I may be kind of inserting the question into the context of the miraculous, yep. which I want to just confess right now is might be misleading me in terms of what Luke's up to. So the more natural read is what you said, which is, is forgiving, forgiving as many times, seven times a day, then you need to forgive them. And they're like, Oh, give us faith so we can do this. Well, and I'm glad you mentioned that because actually what I was had in mind from Matthew was uh, around the fig tree. And it's similar language. <laughs> I tell you the truth, if any of you have faith and do not doubt, not only can you do what's done to this fig tree, but also to this mountain. Yep. Go throw yourself into the sea and it will be done. If you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer, which I take as part of his judgment against Jerusalem and what he's about to do specifically at the temple. And so that's where I was like, well, how does, does that tie into that? Like, does this... Um, certainly there's connection to the notion of forgiveness and seven times and then seven times. And of course, back into 70 times seven, which I think is an allusion to, to their reinstatement or their being, being brought back after exile. Hmm. Um, I can't remember exactly where N.T. Wright talks about that. Oh, the 70 times. Mm-hmm. Probably yeah. in people, uh, New Testament people of God. So all that's kind of fl- flooding around. It's only in my seven mind. In, in Luke seven. Yeah, yeah. That, that, that's <laughs> interestingly. Like, yeah, that's what I was. Like, well, clearly there is an so, oral tradition behind this. Yeah, that is getting developed um, in different directions, and or uh, this was a recurring motif in Jesus' own teaching, and so he referenced you know fig trees, uh, talk of mountains. Now, I will say Matthew consistently will change things to mountain when it says something else. We just did a pod with uh, Larissa, and we saw that in the the, ten, the 100 with the 99, mm-hmm. that he left the 99 in the desert in Luke. In Matthew, it's left them on the mountain, right? There's always like a mountain. <laughs> Luke, Matthew is a, is clearly a mountain lover. Anyway, but this uh, this kind of sycamore tree language, the fig tree, which are related terms, um, the mustard seed of faith. I mean, this is one of those classic cases of if you were going to like put on your, your historian's hat, Mm -hmm. you know, and try to say, which of these things did we know for, could we know for (laughs) sure as a secular historian, Jesus said, he probably said something about a mustard seed precisely because the memory is preserved in such strange ways. Yeah. That's the irony is when I first started out kind of doing more serious Bible study, I used to think that like the, the contradictions in the synoptic, uh, in the gospels were like like this big problem. And over time I've kind of come to realize that those are like usually the signs of like the most reliable material (laughs) because it's like, there was this memory of this great statement and, and it's been put in different contexts. And again, maybe he said it more than once in different contexts and different, different uh, traditions within the early Christian church. were remembering it and we're applying it to different circumstances and it's kind of weaving its way in, but it does create these interpretive problems then with like, What's yeah. Luke specifically wanting us to see here? Yeah. Because we don't have the context of the miraculous here, but which in a weird way maybe fits Luke, who who definitely, I mean, he has miracles, but like, if you just had the gospel of Luke, like, 
Jesus as miracle worker is part of a whole, you know, it's, it's Jesus as restorer, right? He's restoring the community and, you know, I don't know, just talking. Yeah. Well, and those differences clue us into each, each one of these writers as being a theologian in their own right and how they, how they are using and adapting and, and not simply interested in a, uh, a reporting of what Jesus did, but they've crafted a message in light of who they yeah. need Jesus to be. So I think, I mean, that's just, a, that's encouraging to me whenever I'm, you start going out is, is, I mean, I remember in my own Bible study training is like, start with questions, like write all mm-hmm. these questions down. And if I was, if I was given this to preach, you know, verses five to 10, like I, you'd have to go back and to see what, what proceeds and what comes after. And maybe you wouldn't see a whole lot of clues, but it might send you looking elsewhere in the same book. So, for instance, how else is faith showing up in Luke's gospel? Like, what mm. what other what other influences is faith having? So here, it's having this sense of um, effective speech that if you've got faith, you'll be able to speak, and it'll be it'll be revealed in there. What other impacts or what other what other actions are being taken through faith in Luke's gospel that you might kind of get some more clues in it? Which I think is also why it's so important to have working knowledge of whole books, so yeah. that you don't just aren't just looking into these. Texas as one-offs. Yeah, well, let's let's take a quick break, and when we come back, let's maybe trace through some of those thoughts and see where it might take us. And we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. We're looking at uh, Luke chapter seventeen, verses five through ten. I'm here with my uh, most frequent guest, Aaron Perry, and helped. Uh, uh, get this uh, podcast started over a year ago now, so that's kind of wow. fun. Yeah, congratulations. Yeah, I mean, not the actual. I mean, when we first experimented with it, you know, it was like oh, a sure, full sure, sure. Easter ago. You know, yeah, we'll we'll hit our fiftieth episode still a way to go. But uh, anyway, awesome. sorry, I'm getting getting nostalgic. I don't know why. Anyway, it's yeah, a hard text. That's why. Yeah, we're <laughs> avoiding it. Yeah. Oh, I love it. So, um, something came to mind that that you had mentioned earlier that perhaps this, this need for greater faith can find some linkage to the immediately preceding passage on what's, what's basically infinite forgiveness, right? I mean, it says seven times, but I mean, that's his way of saying, (laughs) if he just keeps on sinning, right? No matter how many times, if, if he turns back and says, I repent, you must forgive him. It's a very natural reaction to kind of say like, give us faith. That sounds all, that sounds hard. You know, give us the trust, increase our capacity to trust you that this is a good idea that it's almost as if they're saying, this is a hard Mm -hmm. saying, Mm -hmm. help us who can accept it, help us to obey it. And then all of a sudden the specific language in Luke and even the difference between Luke and Matthew here. So Luke, again, the Matthew version is more famous, more well-known. If you have faith as small as a grain of mustard seed, You'll say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing's impossible. Again, more has the more vibe of the miraculous. Look at Luke though. If you had faith, a grain of mustard seed, you would say to this mulberry bush, be uprooted and be planted in the sea and it would obey you. So here's what I want to play with. The language of, again, it's not the bigness of it, right? Increase our faith. They want big faith. So it's not the language, it's, it's just a mulberry bush or a, or a sycamore tree is different ways of translating it, but it's a, it's a small thing. They could physically uproot it if they wanted with a couple friends, maybe, right? If they put some effort into it, as opposed to a mountain, which is just impossible. So here it's this like, what's bizarre is where it goes. It's not only that he can do it with his 
voice, but it says not just move into the sea, but be planted in the sea. And then all of a sudden this becomes an image of this kind of infinite forgiveness in 17.4. This was my thought that I had playing with your idea about the context. Continuing to forgive the repentant sinner is kind of like planting Hmm. a bush in the (laughs) sea, right? It's like this, it seems like this, you know, groundless, impossible task. You Hmm. know, it's, it's, it's almost highlighting the bonkers character of the um, practice of forgiveness. He's inviting them into. That was a thought that came to mind. Um, Now that doesn't actually help me then connect it to the next passage, but uh, it at least gets it started. I was also thinking about the language of, uh, uproot and plant. And I was thinking of Jeremiah mm. and the role of the prophet. I, like, I wonder if that's, is that just language that kind of rolls off his tongue? Cause he's used to it. Um, and he's, and he's read, read from Jeremiah or is it, is there something else there? I don't know. Yeah. I like the, I like the, the pointless nature of the planting, planting in the sea. Ah. How, does, how does it take root? Right. There's no, there's no root to it. There's, there's, there's no where for it to take root. You know, it doesn't, it's just, it's swimming around. And that, that takes me to the phrase, the sea, a sea of forgetfulness. Hmm. Or, uh, yeah, this is, this is tough, man. I got all these different images that I want to, I want to like attach it onto something, but I feel like I'm never quite attaching what I think is going on here to any of the images I want to try to put on it. Yeah. Well, of course, the language is itself an image. So, and one of the, this is one of these deep hermeneutical, problems of good interpretation is the task of the interpreter to distill all the imagery, all the cultural surroundings to distill that down to a kind of abstract concept and then build back on top of that images that, that make sense in our culture, right? That's one approach. That's kind of the approach I was first taught that you get down to the abstract principle. That's true everywhere. And always the timeless idea. And then how do you illustrate that with our own, right? Mm -hmm. And more and more over the years, I've been moving more and more towards just becoming like immersed in the imagery of the text itself and learning how to use it and make it my own and then have that give birth to new images rather than trying to figure out what is the, what's the bit, what's the concept here, the abstract idea that then I can try to nail down. It's like we almost create this. I think unintentionally as preachers and teachers and even just personal students of scripture, we can actually sometimes paint ourselves into a corner by trying to like apply it to our lives by way of abstraction, right? We, we basically have stripped the text of all that makes it alive. And then now the task is on us to make it alive again. (laughs) Well, it's already this living text and the, the deadness is maybe it's foreignness to me, but the more I spend time with it, like I'm already being just like, as you said, you reacted when I pointed it out and you played with it a little bit. This kind of like the image of this like bush or tree, like out in a lake, not attached to anything, but not floating, standing up straight. Man, like if I was preaching this, I would want to like get somebody in the congregation to paint that, you know, like or or do it as a cartoon or something, right? Like a sketch that unfolds maybe digitally even. This kind of picture of a, especially because we preach a lot about being rooted and grounded in our faith, right? It's a very, it's like the opposite image of faith. It's this image of faith as this, I mean, it's not a picture of faith. It's a picture of the effects of faith, but still this picture of like these roots that are just dangling there and yet it's standing straight and tall. That's what I like about it is that it's not a, a, a dead tree floating down the river, right? That, that I can picture. It's this 
it's this almost unimaginable reality of this like rooted strong tree in the middle of a in the middle of a sea i just think it's so cool and i would want to like lean in maybe to the imagery and make that as opposed to sometimes i i find a great illustration and i make that the center of my sermon which is okay that's not bad and i think if you always do this trick of leaning into the imagery then it then it just becomes bible story time and not truly preaching right but but i wonder if this image is is worth uh exploring and mm-hmm. and and bringing in to to one's interpretation i don't know i don't know how that strikes you go ahead disagree with me it'd be fun to argue we don't disagree enough aaron <laughs> on air yeah. <laughs> private oh. hate this guy it's, it's, this is really an exercise an in act. grace yeah uh, this whole thing this whole thing is a, our, our sanctification process yes. and it's just an act we're can, just playing to can we can we be friendly in on air <laughs> In contrast to the rest of life. Uh, well, I want to I want to kind of go back. Um, okay. Just be, by what you said, this notion of the this tree being planted in the sea, and the contrast between verse two, it would be better for him to have a for him oh. to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around his neck, and the implication like he's going to sink to the bottom, like he's going to be the exact opposite yeah. of being rooted in the rooted in there. He's going to. He's gonna go go right down, and and maybe there's so maybe you, you play that good. you play that through like the person who causes a little one to sin is going to be weighted down and dropped to the bottom of the sea. In contrast, the one who has faith to forgive is still going to be in the sea, but they're going to be strong and standing upright. Right? They're gonna be they're gonna be rooted out of things that are hard and. You know, uh, the soil is going to be maybe rocky. Like they're going to be taken out of that and put into into the sea. So the, the the setting seems to be the same: sinking to the bottom of the sea or being uprooted. The setting of this na- of this notion of offense and forgiveness. Yeah. But the different the the differences are are radically uh, are just radical. The, the difference between sinking or standing are really different. Following Jesus means you're going to get thrown into the sea either way. Do you want to sink to the bottom because you are refusing to help, you know, the least of these and refusing to forgive your brother or your neighbor, your friend when they sin? Or do you want to find out that you can walk on water? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, you know, that you can be rooted yeah. in water. Yeah. A fluid foundation. I know now I'm playing and maybe getting ahead, but I'm feeling some... Uh, some word plays even too, not just the word, the, the, the imagery, but, uh, we usually think of fluidity and of being founded or grounded as kind of opposite metaphors. And he's kind of like combining these in mm-hmm. this image. Yeah. It's wild. Well, uh, I wonder again, just continuing on to play with the, the, the metaphor of the sea in scripture, of course, like the chaos, the uncontrollability and that, that being, not until Revelation is it done away with, right? The re- mm-hmm. It's like the, it's still it's still going to be ongoing, and the ultimate judgment of one who leads little ones astray is the sinking. The salvation of the one who engages in forgiveness is not being taken out of the sea; it's being sustained within it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm I'm kind of playing playing with that. I mean, you said you're not you're not going to get away from it. You're still going to be in the midst of really tough stuff, and suffering is going to be around. There's also there's also part of this that's hidden good news 
if this con if these are connected to what's before in the in the idea of the sea that the one who has misled the younger one may be forgiven as well right you can you can read that as being one who is who has been misled like you can see yourself as the little one who's been who's been misled or you can read yourself as the one who has been who has misled other little ones and if that's the case and you're like man my fate is being dragged to the bottom of the sea like you you need some forgiveness to come to come your way right you need some forgiveness to to reset that and so maybe there's a there's some hidden good news forgiveness is precisely that which keeps us from being sunk to the bottom that we too are going to can be ones who are stood up right we can be the one who is instead of sinking to the bottom who are raised to the top and restood restood up so i'm trying i'm trying to play with that imagery right we we instead it. of the one who's sunk down to the bottom we become the tree who is standing upright by virtue of the faith of another yeah the faith they had to forgive mhm well man in this conversation i'm i'm convinced that at least one um valid and helpful way of interpreting their question about faith in verse 5 is as a follow up to this uh, invitation to a pretty radical practice of forgiveness. And which means there's an insight in their question, right? Mm -hmm. The, the insight being that it takes, takes faith to forgive. And it actually maybe again, then, then they turn, it's, it's so funny. So what's the insight in their question? Right now I'm asking questions about their questions, which is strange, but this will come back to the imagery. Maybe the insight in their question is it takes faith to forgive. I think that's a deep insight. I think that's even. Could be even, you know, a, a, a starting point for, for sermonizing, right? But then Jesus is, you know, massaging and, and correcting of that is he kind of challenges. It's, it's almost like, yeah, it takes faith to forgive, but you're still thinking of faith because of your question. You said increase it, make it larger, make it bigger, right? I want to glance at the verb real quick and make sure I'm not making a mountain out of it. Yeah. It could be extend or prolong, right? But expand our faith, expand faith for us. They're still thinking of faith as this kind of quantitative thing, right? So it seems to be the heart at the near the heart of his challenge is faith is, you know, even the smallest little bit of faith is is huge, and and I don't I don't take that to be an invitation to say like it, this could be a statement if you only had a mustard seed. You could do this cool thing. What if you had a watermelon? Then you could do even more. I think he's trying to challenge the whole notion that faith is quantitative at all, right? I mean, you're nodding, so you seem to be kind I'm of tracking. I'm tracking. Okay. Um, that, yeah, they're right. Yeah, it takes some faith to forgive. But it's not like the more faith you have, the more you'll be able to forgive. It's when, when faith really clicks as a, a qualitative reality, right? Just as a way of being in the world, not just more or less. Then forgiveness is just kind of like it's kind of natural way of being in the world. So of course you yeah. could forgive again and again and again because because why is it and this gets to the heart of why we don't want to forgive is it's a kind of control. It's a I want there to be consequences, right? Why well, I mean one of the main reasons why we withhold forgiveness is because we've been hurt and we sense that there's been injustice and we want the world to be just. And so by withholding that forgiveness and we're sort of it's we're protesting against the injustice of the world, and there's some truth in that. I'm not saying that's bad entirely, but to have trust in God is to trust that I am not in control. God is the Lord of all things, not me, 
And so I, by forgiving, I'm letting go of this. Uh, I'm saying, if there is a justice in the world, God is going to make it happen, not me. And so I can release, I can remit this sin. I can remit this debt that's owed to me by another person because they've reconciled with me and that's all that really matters. They've come back. They've said, I repent. Okay, I'll let it go. No matter, no matter how many times, because I know that I don't need to hold this over you to try to control you and make you better. Is this making any kind of sense? Maybe not. Yeah. Well, <laughs> it, it actually leads me right back into the next part of the passage. Oh, please do. Cause I'm still if, lost on that. Well, it's just, if you end up having that faith to do this, you should only say we've just done our duty. <laughs> That's we, we, right. We haven't done some remarkable thing. Oh, you, yep. You know, and I think that, that I is think you've the, solved it for me. That yeah. is the, the consistent undercutting of what forgiveness does is that it releases another one from our debt and, um, is not, but is not a, a is not a massive action. Is just, is just the, uh. the act of, the act of God in, in being for us. I mean, I'm, I'm going beyond the text now, but the, ahead, act of, the act of God in being for us relativizes all those grand actions. Yeah. So that kind of like hidden in this, like you only need faith the size of a mustard seed is also a reflection of really that act of forgiveness that you did to, to the other is a pretty small thing. <laughs> it's really not right, a big deal, right. dudes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it, it, yeah. Like increase your faith. Uh, you, don't, you don't need lots of faith. You just need to face the size of mustard seed because you've just got mustard sized things to rive. You know, and that's the kind of, and, and at the same time, that's Because you're really just a servant and you were out plowing the field and now it's time for you to make dinner for me. This is <laughs> and, just your role to play. Well, and, and here's the, here's the, so you know. it's like, man, that can feel kind of like offensive. Like all the yeah. things that I've, that I've done, like you think that's small for, or not that I've done the, the things I've, I've experienced, you think that's small for me to forgive them. And the way it's like, yes. And at the same time, when you remember that you were one who was in need of forgiveness, then, then what you've done is seen in this. You're right. Mustard, mustard-sized way of, of seeing it too. So it's like it's totally just making us look at this issue of forgiveness in different ways. That what we, we've we've suffered requires mustard-sized faith to forgive, and what we've done requires mustard-seed-sized faith to forgive. You know, because we can we can be ones who we're not very good judges either of others who have sinned against us or of ourselves <laughs> and we have sinned against others. Right. You know, we're just not very good judges, and so. You know, I look at this and it's like, oh man, there's a relativizing here that I want to take offense at, that what I've suffered doesn't take that much to forgive. But there's also a bit of that I'm like, oh man, would that God would look at my sins yes. in such a trivial, this is such a minor matter. Yeah. Oh, easy peasy. Yeah. yeah. It's gone. It's gone. As far as the East is from the West, it's yeah. already moved on. I've already moved on. Yeah. And oh man, and I'm sure you've had that, right? Where you apologize and someone forgives you and like you kind of want them to forgive you again because like, you're still kind of holding yeah. on to it. Cause it was like, this is a big deal. And they really have let go. And of course we've been in the other circumstance where I said, I forgive you, but I don't really, I'm kind of holding it over you, mm-hmm. right? I'm lording it over you. The fact that you owe me this and yeah, oh, it's very freeing. And you know, this is just a little sort of uh, a homiletical side point, but uh it's something I do a lot of my preaching because I'm a, it's, it's just a sort of function of, and I think I've mentioned this before on podcasts, but so be it. Um, I'm kind of a, I like dialectics, right? I like thinking through one side radically and then another side radically. And I think preaching often is best when it doesn't try to cover all the bases, but just run where the text has it. But I think it's still okay to occasionally mention, yeah, there are other texts that do other things. 
but that's not today's sermon, you know? And I almost want to say like, does God also say, well done, my good and faithful servant? Is God delighted and proud of us for all our hard work? Sure, 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 sure. You know, does Paul talk about the reward for all his ministry? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's another sermon. That's a sermon for another day. That's not the, that's not this sermon. This sermon today is the good news that the stuff that we do and the stuff that's been done to us is actually not as big of a deal as we think it is. And that faith is not actually a matter of, oh, this big burden. That faith is actually just this small little insight that I'm not in control. And that if I carry this grudge, if I bear this resentment against those who have sinned against me, I will have failed to have restored the justice to the world. It's not actually going to work anyway. It's actually kind of itself Mm -hmm. a bonkers way of running the Mm -hmm. world, right? That of course my withholding of forgiveness is not creating cosmos out of chaos. It's just, it's just making it more chaotic. Mm -hmm. It's just the cycle of violence of, of eye for an eye and tooth for tooth that makes the whole world blind, right? Mm -hmm. And toothless, right? Mm -hmm. It's, it's precisely the forgiveness that brings the cosmos, that brings the restoration of order, because then we are brought back into communion with each other. And that really actually just takes that simple, but yet somehow deep insight of faith that, that God is the one who will make all things right, that he's the master and we're just servants. And we work in the fields. And then when we come in, we set our meal and, and we consider ourselves lucky to be in his yeah. presence. Yeah. Um, and that that really is a small little inside of faith. Well, it, okay. Go this, for it. This is where it came from. <laughs> um, blessed is the man who Psalm does, one, does huh? not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which uh. yields its fruit in season. Whose leaf does not prosper, whatever he does, uh, whose leaf does not wither, whatever he does prospers. You know, there, there's another imagery of the tree in water and what does that look like? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's different, of sure. course. Um, so I've got that one going through and Jeremiah and your dialectic, um, the, the Jeremiah with the plant and uproot, right? That line, that yes. works the prophets. The dialectic is that all, this right, right with what is right before forgiveness is, um, Things that cause people to sin are bound to come. Woe to the person through whom they come. It'd be better for him to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied mm-hmm. around his neck, which is the exact opposite of mustard side, mustard <laughs> seed sized uh, sins, you know? So, it, like, like, it's kind of this impossibility to try and just pin it, to pin it down. And maybe there's an But even there's something beautiful, even in that, is it's not your own sin that's going to get you cast into the sea, it's you causing another to sin. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And that may even be linked to forgiveness because it may even be that, I mean, like if you think in terms of like the cycle of revenge and resentment, that is so much a part of what we do in, in our human. I mean, think of every, any relationship that any of us are in right now that's strained and stressed. There's a little story going on in both our heads about who started it. <laughs> right? Right? It's, you did that, and yeah, and then I did this, but I only did that because you did that. Well, and then if you're honest, you're like, yeah, but they did that because I did this, but I did that, right? It's that that sequence of those little, those resentments and revenges that are just so much a part of our human life. And, and I see a lot of Jesus' teachings, even when he's at his most harsh, as uh, the gracious judgment 
but it is still judgment and it is threat of wanting to break that cycle of violence, break that cycle of resentment yeah. and take us out of that never ending cycle yeah. of destruction yeah. and set us on a different kind of path. Yeah. And yes, is it a threat of punishment? Sure. But it's a threat of punishment that's bound up with just the notion of this is where your way of being leads to. Yeah. And the fact that God is the Lord of the universe means that he set things up this way. And therefore, yeah, that is his punishment of you. But it doesn't have to be thought of as some kind of like exterior punishment that comes at you out of nowhere. It's mm -hmm. like, no, this is a destructive way mm -hmm. of living in the world. Mm -hmm. Anyway, I just thought I'd throw that in there because it's kind of like, it's uh, it's the fact that you're, you're being the source of temptation for the sin of others. That's the worst possible thing. Do you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Now, if you sin and you see that you sin and you repent, then there's forgiveness for you. But causing others, right? Causing others to stumble, causing others to sin is the sort of greatest dereliction of duty, which then goes back to our servant. Like that, it's not this, it's not a great act of faith that I should be rewarded for, that I didn't cause other people to sin. You know what I mean, like, no, like that's just my duty. Do no harm, right? The first, right? The first uh, oath for the doctor, right? It's like, just... At least do no harm. Start there. And it's, this isn't something to be patted on the head and rewarded. This is, we're your unworthy servants. At the very least, we should do our best to not. I, I can't help but think in my own life here about the, the command in Ephesians in the household codes there, Ephesians 6, verse 2-ish, where it says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, right? Do not provoke anger in your children. I, that's a really, whoo. You know, it's not just don't get angry at your children. I definitely do that. But like specifically, don't give them reason mm -hmm. to be angry at you. And I do that. I provoke them to anger by, and it's often through a kind of withholding forgiveness. They screw up. I'm angry at them for screwing up. I'm, I, I want to be in control. I want them to learn a lesson. And so I kind of stay angry, even though inside I'm feeling this voice that's saying, let it go, dude. You know, <laughs> I'm wanting to hold, I want to, I'm falling into a script, you know, the yeah. kind of the dad who kind of holds the line and teaches a lesson and I'm planning on being soft later, but right now I'm going to hold the line. And I hear that Ephesians, you know, provoke not to anger. And then I expand it, not just to fathers and sons and, and daughters, but just all human relationships provoke, not to anger cause don't cause someone else to resent you yeah. <laughs> because you're resenting them. Yeah. Let it go, dude. Let it go. <laughs> There's a great uh, letter from screw tape. In the, the screw tape letters to uh, Wormwood, when he says, if you can convince your patient to <laughs> um, do something that they know is going to be offensive, and then, uh, but in an underhanded kind of way, and then get offended when the other person takes offense, then, <laughs> then, then you will have sown like this dissension and discord in the relationship. Yeah. Because we know how to do that. Like, yes. Like, the people that we know the best, we know how to provoke them to anger with whispers. Yeah. Right. So that it's so where it's their fault. They're overreacting. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right. I was, I was just whispering. Why would you? Why would or I was just joking? You? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Like, <laughs> yeah. Like, why would that? And it can even be more subtle than a, than a joke. Like, oh, you misunderstood my intention. Right. It can even be like, why would you ever take offense at that little whisper? Like, there's nothing offensive in that, but it can precisely be offensive because we know how it's going to be heard by them. Right. We can anticipate that. And so that's just what I'm I'm thinking about. Having that willingness to offend and then eagerness to be offended when the other person is offended. And that's exactly the pattern that Jesus is calling out here in reversing, right? Mm -hmm. Eagerness to forgive, mm -hmm. eagerness to not be offended. 
and trusting the Lord that uh, if someone needs to be punished, that he will do that work because they are connected, right? It'd be better mm. for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and cast in the sea that he should cause the little ones to sin. He's saying, our father in heaven cares about the little ones. You know, that this is like, there's a, there's a number of Proverbs that say, you know, the poor have their defender, right? Referring to the Lord, right? You know, like the, the widow and the orphan are the Lord's chosen ones that he, he's the one who's their defender because they yeah. have no earthly defender, right? Yeah. It's kind of like, you know, and that does sort of somewhat imply, right? Not you should go out and tie millstones and throw them, right? But to say that uh, um, the Lord is the just one. He will punish who needs to be punished. Yeah. Um, it's my task is to forgive. Well, you right. s- you see, maybe there's a, a little inclusio here about in verse in verse three. So watch yourselves, right? That's yeah. kind of the, the affirmation the of the of the millstone, mm-hmm. and then at the end, um, you also. So you when uh, so you also when you have done everything you were told to do, yes. should say we are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. Both of those are, are watching themselves, are just are considering their own selves rather than the yep. rather than the the failure or sin of others. Oh, that's good. We should end with that and then come back after the break for a few final words. That's just perfect. That be mindful it can be translated that way. Mm. Be mindful of yourselves. It's, it's actually kind of a weird word. It's prosakete. It's have toward yourselves, right? It's like, you mm. know, have a hold of yourselves. Be aware of yourselves, right? It's definitely a kind of imagery of being aware, being mindful. I think a very, since that's a, and that's verse 10, more content, verse, three. Uh, verse three, verse three, right? So that yeah. being mindful of yourselves, if you translate it that way, then when you get to verse 10, there's a kind of mindfulness implicit in 10. I know who yeah. I am. I'm just a servant. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm not even worthy to clean off the dust of your feet. So the fact that I got the chance to even set your table is way beyond my station. Yeah. Right. And that's mindfulness. So it's not, it's not, it's not a kind of false humility of, Oh, I'm so awful. It's not that. It's just, I know who I am. Like, and yeah. compared to God, I'm, I'm a little mustard seed. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. I'm nothing. And so I'll, I'll receive what I can get. That's my perspective of faith and enjoy it. And when sin is done, I, I, it bothers me, of course. And it's my act of faith is to say, God, I'm going to trust you to make things right. And I'll do my, uh, do my duty to do what's right in the meantime. Hmm. I, I love that you highlighted verse three. Cause I was not a, that is a nice little connection then to the E, you know, be mindful or take heed of yourselves. And in the same way, when you've done what's commanded, we're just unworthy servants. We've only done what is our duty. That's beautiful. Let's take a quick break and then come back and uh, do some sermon starters. And we're back. Welcome back to Fresh Text. I'm here with Aaron Perry, and we're looking at Luke chapter uh, 17, verses 5 through 10, we ended up dipping quite a bit into verses one through four. And I didn't mention this earlier, but I checked as I went and that wasn't in the lectionary before, right or before or after. So if we want to just think of it as 17, one through 10, that's fine. It's not going to hurt anything, but yeah. So, uh, let's do some, uh, some sermon starters, explore some sermon starters. We already had, I, I guess, a few ideas sprinkled throughout the conversation here, but, uh, where might you want to run with this or what, what recommendations would you have for our listeners uh, who aren't preaching and teaching just the things for them to chew on, or if they are maybe some ideas to help them get going. Yeah. What comes to mind when I ask you that? <laughs> uh, the, this mindfulness from verse three, and then the result of mindfulness that if we actually do, like he, he gives us the exercise to do, and then he gives us the answer that we should come from. Hmm. Right. Do this 
And if you do this, if you are mindful of yourselves, here's the conclusion you'll come to. We are unworthy servants just, just doing our duty. I think there's something in that that I would like to, I'd like to use as the bookends of this sermon and then tell the stories of forgiveness in it, tell the stories of faithful service in it, tell the, those would be, I think those would be the two big ones. If faith indeed is connected to the notion of forgiveness. I think, I think that's what I would do is like, yeah. Encourage to mindfulness, knowing that I already know the answer is like, is true, but humble self-awareness that I am an unworthy servant. And then in between to maybe, draw up these stories of forgiveness that we can paint ourselves as the grand offended in our stories mm. of forgiveness where much justice needs to be done for us to be satisfied and then kind of try to deconstruct that, that no, we're just unworthy servants, not in a way that minimizes the sin, right? So it'd have to be some care in it that maybe the, the temptation for us to build ourselves up as the grand offended will have bad repercussions for us whenever we are the offenders and others build themselves up to be, grand offended right and the mustard seed faith kind of it's like it's like i have this like the image of like this ray gun that like zaps something just brings it all right back down yeah 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 even that that might and like but all that is headed towards oh i'm an unworthy servant and if and if i'm if in an honor and shame of culture if i'm if i'm an unworthy servant then what sins against me is kind of the not really the right way to think about it right there's not a lot of my status it's not a lot of my status isn't holding a family together isn't holding a, the mm-hmm. society together. You know, there's, and there's a lot of freedom in that. You know, there's a lot of freedom in that to know that, that I don't have to avenge my honor for the sake of other people around. Anyways, I don't know that that's kind of like this. Be mindful. Here's the answer. Unworthy servant. And then these stories that we can build ourselves up to be bigger than that with the, the sense of offense or with all the service that we would do, right? Mm-hmm. Building, building up our, our resume of faith, so to speak. <laughs> and, that get, and, that, and both of those getting shrunk down. Yeah. That's kind of, I, the, the, like the, the arc of the sermon, like makes sense to me, but I'd have to. The beats are harder to yeah. come by. Yeah. Partially because the text is, feels a little, with all due respect to. Dr. Luke feels a little jumble. I, I don't, I don't track the flow of thought in these verses and that, and that could be on me, the reader, uh, dear reader. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> so I'll own that. But, uh, yeah, well, I mean, I think it, your mention of the kind of honor, shame, culture dynamics. I mean, I don't want to go down this rabbit hole at the end here, but is, is, is a little bit helpful to remember. And, and it might even be worth pointing out even in a sermon. Sometimes those little contextual remarks can be really helpful if they're if they don't overrun the whole sermon and it becomes a lecture about first century culture, I find those fascinating, but unedifying, uh, <laughs> those kind of sermons. But, but like, it, it is a reality that in, you know, more traditional pre-modern cultures, even still to this day, that the weight of a sin is assessed with regard to the person to who has sinned against. Mm-hmm. So the language is even used in verse four of if he sins against you seven times. So that kind of sense of like who you sin against is, it's not just the act. Like we, again, modern individualistic atomistic culture, the sin is in the act and in the intent. And if the intent was wrong and the act is morally wrong, it's just wrong. And it's the same wrong anywhere else, right? That's part of our notions of equality before the law, which are, I don't think, uh, evil ideas. There, there's something, uh, true and perhaps even inspired by Christian theology in that. But having said that, you can overcorrect. To where you miss the deep insight that, yeah, it's just plain different when I interrupt 
you know, you. <laughs> when I unworthy, inter- unworthy servant as I am. <laughs> and and when I interrupt the room. seminary president. <laughs> and, I, and I catch myself doing that more often with her than I do with you. <laughs> because she has more status. I'm just talking about at the job. Yeah. You know, it's not... It's not, it's not as intrinsic. I think yeah. that's part of being a modern person as we think of it maybe as less intrinsic or something. But but nevertheless, it's kind of like, yeah, like I, when I interrupt her, I feel I feel more bad about it because in a certain sense, it's worse because we're not even modern societies still have some sense of Absolutely. honor shame because some of this is just human nature mm-hmm. is the recognition that there are power differentials and an ordered society where equality is in something we aspire to and something we seek to have before the law. And perhaps we should have more social equality. But the fact is, is there are lots of inequalities in. And so I bring all that up to say that this story, this little story at the end, this parable does not click. If you don't have at least a little of that clear in your mind, that it is, there is a certain, that, that it is an affront to the Lord of the house for the servant to expect to eat first. Right. It's just, that would be a, Deep insult mm-hmm. uh, to him. Mm-hmm. And of course, he's just said, if that person's a follower of Christ, they should get over it and not be so insulted by it. But this is then also then a parable for the infinite distance between God and the human. Yeah. There, that is, this is such an infinite comparison. God is so incomparable to us in his greatness that once that, that's what I'm talking about, this being this single inside of faith when that blows us over, like he's the only one who has a right to be offended. All of the little offenses against me are so minor compared to the offense that we as humanity have committed against him. So we should just be in a constant state of gratitude and out of that gratitude flows forgiveness. And so even though the word thankfulness or gratitude doesn't appear here, I I feel it reverberating did you look at and verse 11? Yes. Okay. Yes, I did. So then, <laughs> so then the very next story, which is next week's text, so we won't go into it, but is the 10 lepers yeah. and the one that came back to yeah. give thanks. So I think that's, yeah. and that might help actually sort out some of the structural stuff here. Yeah. Right. So if we want to have gratitude on the theme that, that maybe, I mean, there's a sermon I've been wanting to write for a long time and it might be, maybe this ends up being a text I use to develop it. I had other texts in mind, but this, this one might work even better. And the, the, it has a sing. you know, you've heard me do my sermons that have a single thesis statement, right? And the, the statement is that generosity flows from gratitude or something like that. I haven't sorted it out yet, but um, the, the conceptual idea is that this generosity, this magnanimity, this forgiveness, and I almost want to maybe avoid the language of forgiveness a little bit in the sermon, because that gets us in that moral framework that gets us in our confused in the first place, you know, something like magnanimity. People don't know what that word means, you know, and then you get to explain it. Then, then talk about forgiveness in that framework, right? That you just, you have a big soul. The stuff doesn't bug you as easily. You know, you don't, you're not easily offended, easily annoyed. What does it take to become that kind of person? Well, it's someone who has the magnanimity to be grateful that you haven't been, you know, punished the way you deserve to be. And not in a kind of a poor me, blah, 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 but you know, so I don't know. Again, that's not really anything more than just a kind of, it's only a little mustard seed of a sermon starter, but (laughs) but that's what I've got to offer. (laughs) Well, any final thoughts you want to send us away with? I don't, man. I think, I think I I, want to go back and wrestle through this a little bit more. And I think I've got some, some areas I'd like to, to tease down or, or tease out. 
more, but, uh, you know, I love, I love how a conversation around a biblical passage, uh, it can start out a little bit daunting, but it's, it's a sense of like, oh, that's, that's exactly where I was supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Right? I was supposed to be, that's exactly what I was supposed to be with regard to this text was like a little bit head scratching and confused in order for it to kind of stun me a little bit and say like, yeah, there's, there's more here than what, than what you might, uh, at first suspect. Yeah. So I just want to keep digging into it. Yeah, I hear you. Well, we have, I think we'd have a time for, uh, there's a prayer from the Book of Common Prayer that, uh, it's called the General Thanksgiving. It's part of the morning prayer, um, liturgy. And it uses language from this text. And I thought of it as we were talking about it today. Maybe we could just end with that and then you can take off. Let's do it. Um, so here goes Almighty God, Father of all mercies. We, your unworthy servants, give to you our humble thanks for all your goodness and loving kindness shown to us and to all whom you have made. We bless you for our creation, our preservation, and for all the blessings of this life, but above all, for your immeasurable love in the redemption of the world by our Lord Jesus Christ, and for the means of grace and for the hope of glory. And we pray that you would give us such an awareness of these and all your mercies, awareness, (laughs) awareness of these and all your mercies, that with truly thankful hearts, we might show forth your praise, not only with our lips, but with our lives as well, by giving ourselves to your service and by walking before you in holiness and righteousness all our days through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, thanks uh, for uh, being with us on this episode of Fresh Text. I want to say a big thank you to Todd and Eric for the great production work they do. Uh, Thank you to Tom Adamson for donating the theme music. And thanks to Aaron for being our guest this week. And thanks to you, oh dear listener, for all your uh, time that you give and uh, attend to this uh, text. We appreciate uh, your participation. Make sure if you get a chance to share and subscribe and rate and review the podcast to get the word out to let others who might uh, find it edifying and enjoying. And with that, we say, have a good preach and a great week. Bye-bye.